welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford and Woking in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. We are so blessed this morning. Uh, this man is a wonderful friend of mine and Jazz's. Uh, but more than that, he's just an incredible man of God and a new dad. Yes. Uh, little baby Thea is right here, swaddled, uh, along with grandma, which is very exciting. Swaddled. Who isn't swaddled? <laughs> Thanks, Ad. <laughs> I wasn't going to say that, but you just did. Um, and so, uh, yeah, take it away, man. Good morning. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and just say, you are uniquely valued by Jesus. You are uniquely valued by Jesus. And so... We'll be talking about that a little bit later on this morning, but kind of first of all, we are in the summer, we are in our summer series called Sunglasses, don't be confused, S-U-N, it's in fact S-O-N, Sunglasses, it's a little cheesy, but we're okay with it. And last week, Pete talked about how we serve a God of rest, and because we serve a God of rest, then we can serve God in our rest. And so what does it look like over the summer as we retreat and we have holidays and we recoup to serve Jesus in that? Well, my summer has been slightly different, probably not the most restful three weeks of my life. And, um, you know, we've got this brand new baby. She is three and a half weeks old and we are overwhelmed with love and tiredness um, in that order. But as I was praying into what might I share for this Sunday, I was thinking a lot about foundations, right? It's that 3 a.m. shift where the dad's job is the burping, right? And so you've got the baby up and you're doing this and you're walking up and down thinking, come on, baby, we're going to celebrate you burping and you pooing because you celebrate in a baby what you kind of don't really like in an adult, you know? Okay. And so I'm burping this baby, and I'm thinking about foundations, and I'm thinking what I might talk to you about, and I start thinking about Jesus talking about foundations, and my mind goes to the parable of the fool and the, the foolish and the wise builder. And so what I'd love to do is talk to you about that parable this morning. And so if you have your Bible, would you please turn in there to Matthew 7, and we are going to be reading from verse 24. Okay, so Jesus says this. He says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and it beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. 
And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his hands, his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and the fall of it was great. So I want to, I don't normally title my sermons, but I got a really good one for this. So for this week, I'm going to title it. And my title for this week is Building Sandcastles, okay? Building Sandcastles. And so would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for the summer. Thank you for this opportunity to rest and relax. God, thank you for the sun that shines on us. Thank you for nature. Lord Jesus, and as we approach your word today, God, We don't just want to do it as academics, but we want to do it as followers of you. Lord, so would you open our eyes that we might see you in its words, our ears that we might hear you in its words, but most of all, our heart that we might be transformed into your likeness by it this morning. Amen. Okay, I want to start with a confession. As I'm holding Thea at 3 a.m. and I'm gently patting her to try and get these burps up, and I'm thinking about this parable I'm kind of well acquainted with what it says, right? I could probably tell you word for word. I've read it many times. You know, probably many of you could at least paraphrase it, maybe could quote it as well. But my confession is, I actually had no idea where in the gospel it came. And that's kind of important because what we can be really guilty of, and maybe if you're kind of new to this journey of Christianity, you're new to coming to the Bible, what we have is chapter headings and verses, And they are great for helping us kind of look around the Bible. It's kind of a great map. But what we can be guilty of and what it can lull us into is that we begin to, instead of thinking about it as a continuous flow of ideas, what we do is we separate it out, right? And we don't look at the context, right? And so, but this is really important here because what Jesus is saying is he says, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise builder. Now, I used to just kind of think that Jesus was just talking about all of his words, right? Just, just kind of being obedient to the general things that Jesus says. And that's not inherently wrong, but there's actually something more important going here because this statement, this parable, is the crescendo of a really important part of Jesus' teaching. What he's saying is, I'm going to tell you all of these things, and then if you put those into practice, you will have a sure foundation, Right, And so what is the teaching that comes right before this parable? Well, it's actually the longest section of Jesus' teaching found in the gospel. And both Christians and non-Christians alike consider it the greatest moral teaching in history. It's the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, So Jesus is not just saying, like, follow all of my teaching. What he's saying is, here is the Sermon on the Mount. Here is my kind of manifesto of what kingdom living looks like. And if you listen to these words and do them, you will be living on a sure foundation. But I want to be honest. Maybe it was the nightlight at 3 a.m. Maybe it was the lack of sleep. But I had this thought. The Sermon on the Mount feels incredibly admirable. But in a fallen, competitive, and dangerous world, it doesn't feel like a strong or a sure foundation. It doesn't really feel sensible, right? When we read in the Sermon on the Mount, we read this upside-down, radical, self-sacrificial, almost downright foolish way to live. 
And since getting married and then having a kid, the stakes of the foundations of my life feel higher, right? What am I building my life upon? And really, when push comes to shove, when I read the Sermon on the Mount and I hear Jesus saying, if you live this way, you will survive the winds and rains of life. Do I trust him? Because it doesn't feel very sensible, okay? And it's not just me. It's now my baby. It's my wife. It's my family. It's my church. And for the kind of the scope of this morning, we don't have time to look through the Sermon on the Mount. But if you're kind of, again, new and exploring, the Sermon on the Mount is where we find Jesus talking about the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. We find Jesus telling us to love our enemies, to turn the other cheek, to give generously and to give in secret that not even your right hand knows what your left hand is doing. He tells us to not even fear the very basic necessities of life, such as eating and clothing and drinking. In fact, Jesus has the audacity to say, don't even concern yourself with these things. Those basic things you need to survive, don't concern yourself with those. That's not part of my sure foundation. Even the pagans run after those things. But as Christians, you build your foundation on something different. And what I realized was that I spend a lot of my time worrying about these things. Worrying about money and food and pensions and the housing market and clothes. And not just for heat, but for acceptance. And being worried of being taken advantage of. Or being worried about being overlooked. Or being worried that I've heard that it's a dog-eat-dog world. And if I don't take care of myself, no one else will. And here's the kicker. If I'm clever with my language about the way that I worry then what people will do is they'll look at me and they'll say, he's a great steward. Look how wise he is. Look how much he plans. Look what a great father he is. What a great employee he is. But deep down, I know that I'm building sandcastles. I'm concerning myself with the things that Jesus says. Don't concern yourself with those. Don't build your foundation on those. Don't trust those things. Trust something deeper. Trust something greater. Follow me to something far more extravagant. In the book of Corinthians, Paul says that the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. So what we have is this kind of vice versa relationship where what the world says is wise, God will often say is foolish. And what the world says is foolish, God will often say is wise. Right? Are we building sandcastles? When was the last time some of your non-Christian friends looked at you and thought you were just kind of crazy for the way that you lived? Kind of foolish for the way that you chose to put other people forward? That you chose to forgive and not punish? For the way that you chose to use your finances to bless other people and not just make your own little world safe and secure. On Friday, I had a meeting with Mike Andrea, who many of you will know. He's spoken here, leads a church down in Ramsgate, and he was one of the major figures in discipling me as I grew up. And I remember him telling the story how he was going to get married to his wife, Stella, and a few days before the wedding, God asked him to give all their money away, Right? All of the money. All the money for the wedding, all the money for the beginning of their relationship and everything. And I remember thinking about it because Mike did it. And I guarantee you people accused him 
of not setting up a strong foundation for his marriage, right? But he knew that a strong foundation in God's sight looked like foolishness to the world, right? That generosity looks different. And so the wisdom of the one that we serve would say that oftentimes we are most certain and most sure in our life when we serve more than we are served. When we take the low place more than we take the high place. When we seek to forgive more than we seek for justice. And when we trust more than we fret. And what's interesting is Jesus doesn't just say, live like this because don't worry. Life is sure and one day you will join me in paradise. What he actually says is, to Christians and non-Christians alike, life is sometimes going to suck. Right? There is going to be winds and rain and hail. But actually living this self-sacrificial way, it's those times that they will show their strength when the wind and rain comes. Right? It's not just about kind of escaping the world and living well while we're here. What Jesus is saying is, this is the stuff that will show its strength when life gets hard. All the rest of it will fall away. All of your deepest self-protection and self-preservation will fall away when the winds and rain come. But this Sermon on the Mount way will stand strong. And I want to sort of just probe a little bit deeper into that. And um, when it comes to sand, we're going to talk a little bit about sand, okay? And I have found that sand... A little bit like the wisdom of the world is fragile and it's deceptive. And it's fragile and deceptive in three ways, which we're going to look at. It is fickle, it is flirty, and it is false. Okay? They say you either have your best or your worst ideas at 3 a.m., so let's see what happens. Okay? Number one, sand is fickle. Okay? So having lived all of my life in two places, I've lived in a few different places in England and I've lived for about a year in California. And so when you say to me sand, I have a very clear idea of what sand looks like, okay? It's on the beach, it's by the water, you can kind of run your toes through it, you can bury people in it, you know, sand. We all know what sand is. But actually sand doesn't look like that everywhere in the world and more importantly, sand doesn't look like that where Jesus was. And actually, in the Middle Eastern context of where Jesus lived, sand is really different. And this is important because in Leviticus, we read that during the scorching heat of the summer months, the ground in the area where Jesus lived became, and I quote, like bronze because of its high clay content. Okay? So the sand becomes so hard after being out in the sun, it becomes so firm, it looks and it feels like bronze. Okay, I just want to tell you a little story. When I was 14, my parents booked the most amazing holiday I've ever been on, and we went to Disney World, okay? I love Disney World. So excited to have a child so that I can go to Disney World again. You know, Disney World is just, it's the best. Don't let anyone deceive you. It's a magical, wonderful place, okay? But at Disney World... There is a few theme parks, but there's also a few water parks. And one of these is called Blizzard Beach. Put your hand up if you've ever been to Blizzard Beach. Yes, some people here. And so basically it's a place and they've got like water rides and, you know, it's just a lot of fun. But the branding that they have is of a crocodile trying to ski, 
Okay? So that's like, don't worry, this will be important. It's one of my best ideas. So that he's skiing, okay, this crocodile. And um, I always thought that was interesting, but then at 14, what they have is they give you this thing, and it, it talks through the history of Blizzard Beach. And the story goes like this. The story is that Florida, for about a month, had this freak weather where it just snowed and snowed and snowed. Okay? Just kept snowing. And so what the clever people of the Disney Imagine Emporium, or whatever they're called, decided to do is they were like, wow, it's snowing. We can make a ski resort. Okay? So they get busy. They're trying to build this ski resort. And then suddenly, as you can imagine, the freak weather moves on and the sun comes back out and they panic. They're like, we've put all this work in. We've built these ski slides. What are we going to do? And suddenly they see an alligator natural to Florida, slipping down one of these ski slides. And they think, there we have it. We'll make a water park. Okay, at 14, I knew nothing of branding or compelling narratives, and I thought they were idiots. Right? Why? Why would you choose to take something like freak weather over four months and build an entire water park around it? I didn't realize that they were just trying to make an interesting story. I thought they were idiots. Because what they'd done is they'd taken a little bit of weather, they'd taken a season of specific blessing, and they'd built their whole life around it, not realizing that life has seasons. Okay, and so what are we hearing in Leviticus? What we're hearing is that there are times that the sun heats the sand so much that it becomes like rock. But it becomes easier than rock. Like it feels strong. It feels strong enough to support a house. And so what's the lesson for us? There are times when the metaphorical sun of blessing is shining on our life. Work is going well. Relationships are going well. Everything feels like it's going well. And in those times, we can be tempted to build on those things. Suddenly, we build our life around that promotion. Suddenly, we build our life around that new relationship. Favor invites compromise, right? Sometimes in life, the times that you are most tempted to not put your sure foundation in Jesus is not when life's going badly, but when life is going well. And then what happens is just like always happens, right? How many, we had like, what, 65 days of no rain? Was that like last Sunday we were here and it was just everyone was in shorts, right? And then on Friday, I was driving on the M25 and it was raining so hard, we literally couldn't see. 10 meters in front of us. Life changes. And what we mustn't do is in the times of favor, build our lives around that and forget. Because what Jesus is saying is he's saying that building in the rock is hard and back-breaking work, but it's the only thing that will stand. Right? Sand is fickle. Second, sand is flirty. Okay? Say it with me. Sand is flirty. Okay? Okay, I've realized something. Foundations are boring. Okay? No one walks into your house and compliments your load-bearing walls. Right? <laughs> they just don't. I am desperately ill-equipped when it comes to DIY. Right? I'm in the renter's generation where we're not allowed to put shelves up, and so I don't know how. Okay? But what I have heard is that when it comes to a dam, however wide a dam is, it has to be at least that deep, 
So if you go and you see a dam that is a kilometre wide, it has to go a kilometre into the ground because the foundations are so important for a structure that's going to stay up. No one goes to a skyscraper and thinks, man, I wish I'd been here when they were digging. Just would love to see those deep foundations, right? Digging foundations is boring. And digging foundations is hard and it's slow. Notice that both the wise and the foolish builder built in the summer months. They built under the scorching sun. But after hours and hours of work, the wise builder had almost nothing to show for it. He couldn't invite his friend round to admire his deep holes. Whereas the foolish builder had plenty to show because he hadn't done any work on those deep foundations. What he'd been able to do is he'd realized that sand is malleable. You don't need to do all that back-breaking work. You can get right to the fancy stuff. You can get to the aesthetics, to building big and spectacular and showing off. And in this way, wisdom is often subtle. But foolishness loves a platform. Right? Much of what we read about in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus challenges that public facade of holiness. He says, don't let anyone see what you're doing. Don't even let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Because when your life becomes about perception and not stability, you just end up building a sandcastle, right? Which all comes crashing down. And Jesus doesn't tone it down here. He doesn't say the Sermon on the Mount is easy, just jump, jump in. He compares it to digging through rock in the baking heat. He knows living this countercultural, self-sacrificial way is difficult, but he says it's worth it. Right? It is the thing that will stand up through all the seasons that life has to offer. Do you value hiddenness? Do you value working hard on that foundation when no one sees what's going on? It was Lincoln that said, if I was given six hours to cut down a tree, I would spend four hours sharpening my axe. Right? If I had six hours to cut down a tree, I would spend four hours sharpening my axe. Summer is a fantastic time to take stock to look back over life and evaluate not just what we are doing, but why are we doing it? What is the value system behind why you live? And actually, this parable of Jesus comes in a sort of a trio of parables that he says one after the other, and they're all remarkably similar. He talks about two paths, one that leads to life and one that leads to destruction. He talks about two trees, one that produces good fruit and one that produces poisonous fruit. And he talks about two houses, one that will stand and one that will fall. And as I was reading one commentator talking about this, he said something that I'd never realized before. And he says, you need to pay attention to the fact that Jesus here, all three examples, he's talking about things that on face value look incredibly similar. Two paths, two trees two houses. And it's only when you scratch under the surface that you realize how different they really are. And that's important because oftentimes what we do is we read the Sermon on the Mount and we think about these two houses, and I definitely did this. I thought about being like good and evil. Like the sure foundation is living a good and righteous life. And the evil foundation 
is the one that will fall. But the Sermon on the Mount doesn't particularly talk about good and evil. It actually does something really interesting. The Sermon on the Mount mostly kind of talks about the difference between religion and the facade of religion and the true Christian way, right? Something that looks like following Jesus but is actually totally different. Do you see the two things looking really similar on face value? But it's only when you scratch below the surface you see how different they really are. So Jesus here, he's not talking so much about good and evil, but he's challenging a religious system that was only concerned with a moral checklist of actions. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. That's not what this is about. You've heard it said, do not murder. I don't say, you're all murderers, you're all evil, don't actually murder and you'll have a sure foundation. What he says is, I want to go deeper. You've heard it say, do not murder. I say, do not even think angrily about someone. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. I go even further. Don't even lust in your heart. Do you see, Jesus is comparing the facade of religion and the true way of following Christ and saying this has to be more than your outward. It has to be the way that your heart is changed. The outward will lead you to poisonous fruit, a path to destruction, and a house that will fall. If your way of following Jesus is all about how it looks, that's what's going to happen. But if you let this thing go deeper than just your skin, if you let it change your value system and your heart, then you will find that you will have a path that leads to life, a tree that bears good fruit and a house that will never fall. Do you see the difference of what Jesus... And so sand is flirty because what it does is it seduces our want to be seen, to show off, right? We want to build quickly on stuff that doesn't really stand because there is an insecurity there that we know. Jesus is the one that says, some of you, when you pray, you're just showing off. You're using big words in front of people, but actually there's no deep heart relationship. wonder if there's anyone here that, you know, you're going through the motions. On face value, no one would see. You're doing all the right stuff and you're doing it well, but you know that somewhere along the line you started building sandcastles. And Jesus is saying, See back to the heart. Go back to the heart. The Sermon on the Mount, I think, is such an incredibly profound way of living. But the only person who's ever truly lived the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus. And so if we go to it and we see it as a moral checklist of what we do and don't have to do, then we're always going to leave discouraged, which again is religion. But actually, if we posture our heart to the Sermon on the Mount and we read it consistently and come back to it and think, okay, When's the last time you kind of got the wind taken out of you by the words of the Sermon on the Mount? Right? Because that's the way that we have to posture our heart towards it. If I read the Sermon on the Mount as good versus evil, I don't think of myself as an evil man. But if I read it as the difference between religion and true, truly following Christ, suddenly the bullseye is right back on me. Because I know all sorts of times I slip into religion. All sorts of times I go through the motion. All sorts of times I show off in the way that I give or the way that I pray or the way that I act or the way that I live. And so I return again to the Sermon on the Mount and think, God, I'm so sorry. Somewhere along the line, I started building sandcastles. Help me again to go through that back-breaking work of building on the rock because I want to have a sure foundation. So sand is fickle, sand is flirty, and finally, and this is a short one, sand is false. Okay? Now, I am no geologist or meteorologist, 
But my understanding of sand is that it actually contains quite a lot of rock, right? It's just very fine, and it's mixed in with other things like quartz and all of these other things. If there is a geologist in the, in the house, then maybe you could tell me afterwards what's in sand. But what I do know is that sand has a lot of rock in it. It's just small. And I was thinking about this, and then we were in the 24-7 office, me and Rich and a few people here, and we had a knock on the door. Perfect. Okay. And this woman comes in, and she's like, I saw the sign, 24-7 prayer. Who are you? What do you do? So we're like, well, you know, we're this international organization that helps to inspire and equip prayer around the world, and we do mission teams, and we do all of that. And she's like, that's so interesting. I am a disciple of all major world religions. So we're like, okay. So she's like, I just like them all. And so we talk with her a little bit, and then she says this line that stuck with me, and she said, one of my favorite things about the Christian teaching is where it says, be still and know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And I'm thinking, that doesn't sound right, right? It's not be still and know the truth. It's be still and know that I am God. But that's the difference between the world and the Christian way. It loves to include a little bit. It loves to have a tiny bit of the gospel in it. It just likes to mis- like mix it in with a whole load of worldly wisdom as well until the point that we actually kind of lose Jesus. Certainly, it's be still and know the truth. But the truth will not set you free apart from Jesus. And so the thing that we need to be careful of is Jesus is the one who's like lukewarm is kind of worse than nothing at all. Right? If you want to do it my way, you need to leave your nets and follow me. I've come to separate families if that's what it takes. I've come to do all these things because actually my way does not mix with the world way. They're like oil and water. You can't have a little bit of both. What you actually need to do is follow me wholeheartedly, leaving everything behind. A little bit of Jesus is no more of a sure foundation of no real Jesus. Okay? That doesn't mean that we've got to get everything right straight away. Of course, we're all being sanctified, we're all growing, we're all living. But our heart posture when we come to the Sermon on the Mount is, God, I want to live this, I'm all in. Give me everything, that's my sure foundation. I don't want to mix in with wisdom from other places. I just want to follow you in your way wholeheartedly. And so, sand is fickle, sand is flirtatious, sand is false. But here's the kind of million-dollar question. Okay, and saying, Adam, like, I hear, I want to build my life on a sure foundation. I really want to live the words of the Sermon on the Mount, but it feels tricky. Like, how do I do that? How do we actually even begin to live this way? Well, I think the key for that actually comes right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And we're just going to read it to close really quickly. So if you have your Bibles, would you just turn to chapter 6, verse 25. Matthew 6, 25. Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, not about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? 
And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. My biggest fan. So the wisdom of the world is about self-preservation, but the wisdom of Jesus is about God care and God protection. We are empowered to live free because we are sons and daughters of the King. Your peace comes in the knowledge of your value. Okay? Jesus is like, are you not much more valuable than these? And so regardless of whether or not you feel valuable or not, whether or not life has taught you that you are valuable, relationships have taught you that you're valuable, work or social media or anything has taught you that you're valuable, Jesus says that you are more valuable than any of these things. And it's in that place that we live, not needing to preserve ourselves, but living under the care of God. We don't have to fight to provide for ourselves because God provides for us. We don't have to fight to promote ourselves because God promotes us. We don't have to fight for justice for ourselves because God defends us. I'm aware that there are plenty of people in this room who feel not in the sunny sunny summer months, but in the middle of that storm, right in the eye of the hurricane, and the winds are coming, and the waves are crashing. And I just would love to finish with these words from Eugene Peterson the pastor, poet, and author of the message, translation of the Bible, and maybe we could have the band up just as we do this. If you find yourself in the middle of a storm, probably regardless of everything else that's been said today, Jesus just looking you in the eye and saying, I value you, I care for you, I'm with you, I am for you. I am right in the middle of this storm. And that is your sure foundation. Eugene Peterson says this, and maybe if you're in the middle of a storm, you could shut your eyes and try and let these words make that 18-inch journey from your head to your heart this morning. Blessed, happy, fortunate, so well off and at peace are all those followers of Jesus who, even when life is hard, when the dream is crushed, when the diagnosis is lousy, when they have more questions than answers and live in the fog of confusion and can't chart a way out, even then, they don't fall away into sin. They don't walk away from God. Instead, they trust. They sit and they wait. Whatever comes, comes. They are okay. They are happy even. Because the settled condition of their heart is to live on the reliance of the goodness of God. Because the settled condition of their heart is to live on the reliance of the goodness of God. Would you pray with me?
Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are God of the winter. You're the God of the summer. You're the God of favor. You're the God with us when times are hard. And Lord Jesus, I see this room full of people with life dealing all sorts of different things. I thank you that you are with each and every single one of us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be wise builders. Help us to live this reckless, self-sacrificial, foolish way of the kingdom. Lord Jesus, where we trust that we build a foundation on your words, on your protection and your care. And Lord, for those of us who find ourselves in the middle of the storm, I thank you that you are right there with us. Lord Jesus, help our hearts to find peace in the knowledge that we are valued more than we could have ever imagined. That we live safe in the arms of God care and God protection. Lord, may the truest thing for us right now be that our hearts have found a seat, a settled place, reliant on your goodness above everything else.